Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode 226 of the All Dolphins podcast. And you can probably tell right away we are joined by a very special guest today. On the right side is Richmond Webb, former seven-time Pro Bowl selection of the Miami Dolphins. Seven? Seven. First seven seasons. Wow. Talk about making an immediate impact and entry into the NFL. Richmond, how are you? Good, 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 good. Omar, Allen, how are you guys doing today? Excellent. I, I got to say my first introduction to you um, and we were introduced to each other on the Twitter streets because I was I was complaining about this huge human being who was blocking <laughs> my view in the joint practice of the Texans game. And I'm like, this man is massive. Like <laughs> he's blocking my whole view of the field. And then the fans are like, that's Richmond Webb. I was like, that's Richmond Webb. I was like, okay, now that makes a lot of sense. Uh, yeah, that was funny. I remember that Omar and, and uh, I had read it and, you know, I was just there shooting the breeze with some former teammates, but I know you guys be working. So I said, I said, bro, next time just come up to me, man, move out the way so I can do what I need to do. But yeah, I'm real easy. But yeah, that, that was funny. I remember we did. That was the first interaction. But yeah, I followed you for years and this and that. But yeah, that, that was funny. I, I got a big kick out of that. Um, yeah. So I should have followed my instinct to go, hey, you got the hell out of the way. We're trying to <laughs> the, and and to, in, in my defense, those were the worst views I've ever seen ever at a practice because they just give you, they put the media in corners and we have yeah. to watch from the field. But, you know, I, I, I got to say, I, it makes you appreciate how the Dolphins treat you and how the Dolphins take care of you. And, and I'm sure they've taken care of you from an organizational standpoint as well throughout the years. They have, and, and you're right. Uh, it was difficult, and, and you're right. Most of the time they have a section where the media can kind of see everything. If you were elevated a little bit, but you were just at ground level, and not only me, but just players on the – it was just hard to kind of maneuver and really see what you really wanted to focus in on. So I hear you, but, yeah, it gives you a deeper appreciation. Sometimes you got to go somewhere else to say, hey – Man, I really got it good here. And, Absolutely. you know, that's a good thing, speaking for the Dolphins. So, yeah. that is a good thing. But, yeah, they we treat me. joint practices in Tampa, in Chicago, okay. in uh, Carolina. Um, and then we did joint practices. Where was it? That? Oh, oh, in Houston. I, I got to tell you, man, uh, I, we, we, we got it good. We got you it good. Got really it good. Got <laughs> and my first introduction to you, Richmond, was in 1990 when I was in my second year covering the Dolphins on a full-time basis for Dolphin Digest. You had come in as the ninth overall pick, tackle from Texas A&M, and it didn't take long to be like, oh, yeah, Dolphins hit that one. Um, you wound up playing for the Dolphins. I don't need to tell you this. I'm telling the folks for the, for for those young youngins out there. Who yeah. Richmond played for the Dolphins from 1990 through 2000. Spent a year plus with the Cincinnati Bengals uh, after leaving as a free agent. And we're going to touch on that free agency and the franchise side because you were once the victim of that, so to speak, um, and then came back to sign a one-day contract with the Dolphins, something that I, I really like and that maybe the Dolphins should be doing with a former player, <coughs> Cameron Wake. Um, but that was, that was a great way to, like, wrap up your career. Uh, I guess my first question – what do you remember the most when you, you think about your times with the Dolphins? Yeah, I, I think, like you said, Alan, you hit on it, and, and you didn't tell everybody you was in middle school when you were covering me. I don't know how you got a job working in middle school because I know you're not as old as me. But, I'm, old, uh, I'm older than you, Richmond, but I appreciate it. <laughs> but, uh, you, you know, the thing is, man, coming out of college and then, you know, being drafted and being drafted in the first round and then also being drafted by, you know, Coach Shula, which was already a legend, um, 
you know, I couldn't ask for anything better. You know, coming out of Texas A&M, the main thing I was praying for was just to go somewhere warm. And so when I got that call from Coach Shula, it was that that was my prayer answered right there. But then, like I say, to play for a Hall of Fame coach and then, you know, Clayton, um, Mark Duper, and of course, Marino. I was playing with guys I had saw Monday Night Football, watching a little bit in high school and throughout college. So <clears throat> it was just it was definitely a blessing for me. So it, I was I almost couldn't believe it. But it, it was it was great. I, I reflect back from time to time and, and really, really think about how fortunate I was to go to the Dolphins at that time. Now, do you think it was primarily fortune because you were playing for a legendary coach or was it because you had Dan Marino who just made everybody's job seem a little bit easier? You know, you know, Omar, I I, I just know how hard it is to actually make it to the NFL and then to come in as a first round, I was just really happy, fortunate. So even if I went to a cold weather team, I would have had the same type of gratitude. It was just, um, you know, being a first round pick and then things kind of unfolding the way it did for me and Keith, you know, it was just a match made in heaven. And, you know, I understand, you know, your first round pick. And the first thing you want to do is prove that you're worthy of that pick. And a lot of times, it's not so much the player, but you could go to a the wrong organization and you don't have the right coach to v- develop you. And then the next thing you know, you're being labeled as a bus and this and that. So you kind of understand that just being for So that's why I said I was very fortunate. And then, like I said, the way the draft unfolded, Keith was a second round pick because he was projected to be a first round pick as well. But man, I was so like I said, when everything, the cards fell right, they fell right. And we had a lot of success together and he made my job easy. So yeah, I'm definitely fortunate. Since you mentioned, we mentioned Marino, uh, he was known from time to time to maybe be not so polite in pointing out a mistake that a teammate might've made. Marino? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> hey, listen, people don't talk about that much because yeah. it, I guess it, it messes with the legend that is Marino. And I, this I, is the part where oh, so I'm sorry, hold on, Omar. We have to get to the part of Richmond where you have to have a story of Marino getting in your face on yeah. one of those rare occasions where you missed a block. Yeah. And you know, that's that's gonna happen. Nobody does everything perfect, no matter who you are, coach, player, whatever, but you know. I think what it was with Dan, and once you understood that, it was it was never personal. But um, I can remember, I can't remember who we were playing. But um, he came and you know went down the office. He said, "Man, if if y'all block him, I can kill this team. This and that." And it wasn't that we weren't trying to block him. It's just like every now and then they're gonna make a play. You're gonna get hit. This and that. And so <clears throat> I really didn't take it personal because I, especially when I was young, the the thing that really was probably my biggest fear was I didn't want to be remembered as the guy that gets Dan Marino hurt because he was already a legend. Mm -hmm. So to me, that was added pressure on me. Never really shared that with anybody, but I was just like, man, that's the last, the last thing um, that I want to happen. And I, I can remember like yesterday we were playing in, I believe it was Cleveland. And that's when he tore his Achilles and the first thing I did, and I knew it wasn't my guy, but I still looked up at the the replay on the trench. I was like, Lord, please don't let my guy be nowhere around this dude. And it wasn't, but you know, I, I was sad for him, but that was just that was just my mindset back then. But um, you know, Dan was fussing, getting your face, and then he'd go back and score a touchdown and he's hugging you and this and that. It was just his competitiveness to win. I think it kind of trickled down and, and filtered throughout everybody was on offense. So once I understood that, you know, it wasn't personal. I was just, okay, he trying to win the game. So I get it. I got to do better. And and that's the way I chopped it up. Do you think that that would have worked his competitive nature, his personality would have worked if he wasn't Dan Marino? Like if he was Jay Cutler, would, would that have made a difference? No, it, it, it was it was that was that was Dan. I mean, it, it, I mean, I can remember times where, like, say, Dan throw a football and the ball get tips, and you know it's an interception. <clears throat> He's just just as pissed off about that as you know, say me missing a block. 
And then all he's looking for is that opportunity to go back and right that wrong that was on the field. So he was just, he was just ultra competitive and we understood that. And you could see the look in his eye. And if he went to licking his hand and grabbing the ball on the sideline, throwing it, you knew he's okay. He didn't went to that level. Let's just do what we need to do. So, so it was the licking of the hands is that they gave you? Yeah, the that was just a habit of his. If you ever go back and look at film, especially like right before, say we break the hull or whatever, he'd always lick his hand. It was just a that was just a deal, and then throw the football. But yeah, that was that was one of his routines. Yeah. Did you ever get back in his face when he when he gave you a hard time? Oh, like no. like got out of my face, Dan. No? They they to ship me up out of town, man. I, I like that. <laughs> like I told you, I like that warm weather. <laughs> and then, you know, the other thing was, uh, man, I never understood it, but, you know, Coach Shula, and I tell people about this, Coach Shula was, you know, he was so such a stickler on the little things, penalties, mental errors, this and that. And if I made a mistake in the game, say jump offside or whatever, I could be walking to the sideline, and it seemed like his eyes would lock on me, <laughs> and I'd be like, okay, here he comes. So if he's coming toward me, I'm trying to avoid it, but – He's still coming back. I just never made eye contact with him. I could hear his voice, and I'm like, okay, let him get it out. And then he would he would fuss at you, wait about five minutes, and like, hey, we need you. Come on, let's get in the game. We got to win this game. So it was – once you kind of understood that, it was cool, but it was like – it was almost like, you know how, like, if you're outside and you're doing something and your mom is in the house, but some intuition tells her, I need to go out here and, and check, check, check uh, Richmond and see what he's doing. It was like that because I'd be like, how does he know, no matter who it is, it seemed like he just had that 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 intuitive nature in him to know, okay, it's Richmond this time or whoever the next time this and that. It was kind of funny, but, yeah, Coach Shula was a great coach. Um, your your former teammate, Keith, um, how should I put this, Omar, very delicately, as diplomatically as I can, maybe didn't have necessarily the greatest thing to say about Jimmy Johnson. Um, how What was your relationship like with him, and, and how would you contrast his style to that of Shula? You, now, I'll put it like I think it was the the they were both great coaches. I, I give him credit. He, he knew the game of football, smart coach, but we wasn't jimmy johnson guys so we were inherited to that and i understood that and so um before he even got there because I, I knew i called uh i had played with kevin smith he was a cornerback at uh the dallas cowboys mm -hmm. so i called him up and i was like hey man what's up with this dude what i need to do this and that and he was like hey just keep your mouth shut he said you never have no problems because the type of guy you are just just work you're gonna have to work hard Keep your mouth shut, and then you know everything was okay. And I can remember when he first got there, even with me, I think it was possible you start hearing about possibly trade rumors and stuff like that. And it's kind of unsettling when you've been there so long and you just don't know. And then you ask people, and my agent called, and no, don't listen to that and this and that. But I, I've been down that road before, and it's like now if you're hearing it, something's going on behind the scenes. It just didn't, it didn't happen. <clears throat> and then I heard that. Possibly he wanted to trade Marino at one time, but Marino was untouchable. And, um, you know, if he could have traded a guy like Marino, that was like Herschel Walker 2.0, what he did with the Cowboys. And, and you know, so I understand his, his thought process, but we wasn't his guys. And Keith was the type of guy that if he wasn't, if he wasn't happy about something, you was going to know he wasn't happy about it. You know, he, he didn't mind who was this and that. So, they kind of bumped heads and, and, you know, there were things done during that time that, you know, we necessarily all didn't agree with. I don't think it was a happy time for Dan as well because he was limited in some of the things that he could and couldn't do that he was used to doing. And, and that was tough. And I think the toughest thing was when it didn't work out, we got blamed for it. You know what I'm saying? When I say we, the players, well, a lot of times we could used to make adjustments and we couldn't do those anymore. So you just, you know, you you can't really, I didn't feel you could air it out in the media because that's not going to do nothing to make everything worse. It's just, it's, hey. You can now. <laughs> and he, he froze. Oh, yeah. Here we go. Yeah, you're in another moment. Here we okay. go. 
Richmond okay. back now, yes. So you were saying you, you couldn't air it out in the media because it only make the problem worse. That's what I thought. You know, it's it's probably a little bit different today. I think it's a lot different today. <laughs> yes. But yeah, it, it was, I, I put it like this, it was times and I think Trace Armstrong was president of the Players Association. And um, when he first got there, we would be in shorts and helmets, but you would have thought we were in full padded gear going out there. And then <clears throat> one day it was, it was like during training camp, you're supposed to have a day off. Well, they turned into 24 hours. It, it was something crazy, but the good thing we had Trace there and he kind of pushed back on some of that. And I was like, man, what is going on? But, you know, like Zach, JT, those guys, Sam, they came up. It was those were his guys and great players. And I had glad I had an opportunity, but it was a little different if you were pre uh, Jimmy Johnson, you know, guys. Just And, just and it's funny you say that, Richmond, that yeah. that. That correlates with every single era of, yeah. of of football that I've ever covered. It's their guys; these are mm -hmm. my guys, and it's it in collateral loss because of you know him not being my guys and my system. I, and I think that that's that's really a disheartening thing. I, I think probably this um, this head coach is probably the first time I haven't really seen that or experienced yeah. it. Um, you don't think so? you disagree, Poupard? Raheem is his guy. River Craycraft is his guy. Jeff Wilson Jr. is his guy. Uh, okay, but do they get treated any differently than Jalen Waddle? Or oh, no, 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 not in that sense. No. Yeah, I mean, but uh, here's my question to you, Richmond, and okay. this is a question that I ask a lot of a lot of players once they get to their fourth year or more. Okay. At what point did you learn that the NFL was a business, and what was it? Man, you know what? It didn't take me that long, Omar. And I'll tell you the biggest thing, and I was just kind of naive coming in, but came into my first training camp, and I knew it was like six weeks because I had played with guys in college that had previously went to the NFL. And so um, the thing that got me was, you know, you come to camp with 80 guys, and then all of a sudden you start seeing guys disappear. You know, this guy here, or you see a guy walking with his playbook and he's got that look at me. And I was like, man, this, this is the business part. This is the part you don't like because typically you, if a player in college, you got 95, hundred guys on team. Yeah. You go through, you know, the training camp or whatever. It's not as long, but at, you just getting ready for school to start and for the first kickoff game. But, we had to get on the 53 players and this and that. And I was like, man, you form friendships. And next thing you know, these guys are up out of here. So, yeah, it didn't take me that long at all. And I knew that every year somebody was coming in, maybe not to, to take your position, but as you got older, they started to look at you a little bit different. And and I said, okay. So you, you started to learn those things. But the first thing that kind of hit me was, seeing guys that you come to train camp with and then you gotta you get down to 53 from 80 or something and i was like yeah this is a business for real uh, my, my question on the business of football is as i mentioned earlier you were once uh franchise tagged by the dolphins if i'm twice. not twice okay yeah. how much did you hate it as a player <laughs> you hate it because um I, I think you hate it because I think when you've been a good player or, or, or whatever, you figure you can kind of work something out. And then I looked at it a little different because I had a couple of injuries later on, and I knew that kind of affected um, uh, probably my value, or at least the way they looked at my value and said, hey, this guy's getting up eighth, ninth year. You know, yeah, he's still a good player, but he's had a few injuries, so – they got they're gonna it's a business so they got to use whatever they can to probably get you for the best price whatever and um so i think it was it had to be my 10th and my 11th year i, I got franchised twice and then um after that um i think i went up and talked to dave wanstead and he was kind of saying <clears throat> he said something like well we're gonna just go out and see what kind of deals you can get and if we can match you match it and i was like i've been in the game too long i <laughs> I know what that means. Like this. Yeah. And I was like, it, it's not personal because 
always took it as a business. And, and so I said, okay, well, let me do what I need to do. And then, you know, I was really happy because uh, I had talked to a couple of teams before that. And then I signed after the draft. So what happened was a couple teams signed Lyman or whatever. So that changed. But I ended up going to Cincinnati, and they treated me like a king up there. Uh, Dick LeBeau is my head coach. And, I, I mean, even though we didn't win a lot, I could appreciate the way they appreciated me coming to an organization like that. So spent two years up there and uh, the thing about it was I just don't believe in burning bridges. And I always knew once I finished playing, I wanted to come back and uh, retire Dolphin. I think I called, it was either Eddie Jones or Brian Wiedemeyer and said, Hey, is it okay if I come back? And they welcomed me with open arms and they was like, yeah. So I came back and signed a, one day contract with the Dolphins and, you know, they had a little press conference and stuff like that. So that was cool. And I agree. Cameron Wake is, is a guy that they definitely need to, you know, as many sacks and the type of player he was. Now, I don't know if he's reached out. That's what I had to do. I don't know if he's reached out. Y'all know a little bit more about it than I do. Okay. He's kind of a recluse kind of player, so I, I don't think that's something that he would do. But yeah. it's definitely something that the, the chapter on that has to be closed the proper way. Which yeah, and, and I, if I knew him, I've met him, but I don't know him because I really didn't play with him. But I would tell him, say, "Bro, just pick up the phone. You, from what you did for this organization, it just makes sense for you to retire a dolphin, come back and and do that, and you know." As long as you can kind of put it in perspective and say, this is a business, don't take it personal. And it's it's hard sometimes, but you got to look at it that way because you got to do what's best for you, but they got to do what they feel is best for the organization. And all the time it's not personal. I'm not saying every time it isn't, but most of the time it's not. But it's hard sometimes for players because you look at it and say, well, I put my blood, sweat and tears here and they're going to treat me like this. So. I get it on both sides, but sometimes you need somebody with a cooler head with, to prevail and say, hey, come on, let's work because we want you back and this and that. So if I knew him, I, I would talk to him. But I, I, I've met him, but I don't know him that well. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's not like he's the only veteran the Dolphins said goodbye to in that 2019 offseason. I mean, he just they were doing a whole purge, or as Omar liked to say, tank. So it was like bye-bye to a whole bunch of veterans, and hopefully he can understand that. Yeah. Um, let, let's get into uh, the Hall of Fame conversation, Richmond, because I, mm -hmm. I think it's it's a healthy one. Um, I am not a Hall of Fame voter. I paid attention to it over the years, um, okay. and I know there's a lot of politics involved in it. Uh, I've watched the process through Jason Taylor and then Zach Thomas, who had a, a very long, lengthy wait. Right. Uh, and obviously that was where Miami put all of their chips into the Zach Thomas basket. Now that he's finally in, I have formulated the opinion that there's only really two players that Miami should be putting their chips behind. That's you, Richmond Webb, and then Mark Clayton. Um, wh what would your argument be for why you need to jump to the front of the line as the Miami Dolphins candidate in terms of who they campaign for so you know it's about campaigning sell yourself <laughs> well I, I mean like you said omar you know come in and, and I, I think uh to before i start i think clayton came up on the senior list or something or he's right about to go into there but he he definitely has the the numbers and stuff like that and he's a real he's my teammate Matter of fact, he lives here in Houston, so you know we we touch base from time to time. But um, I, I don't want to make it, you know, choose me over him or him over me. I think that you just try to right the wrong, and you say, okay, we, these are two guys we need to promote. And like you said, Jason, it took a while. You know, Dak, Zach, it definitely took a while, and you know we're older than them, so. I was happy, went to both of their uh, Hall of Fame inductions, you know, happy for both of them because both of them are genuinely good guys. And that's what you you focus on. You don't focus on – I don't focus on and saying, well, I should have been in there this and that because I agree with you. I do believe it is a lot of politics and this and that. So I understand that. But, 
you know, even with both of those guys, you know, I remember Jason mentioned me in his speech and then um, I don't think it was in the speech, but it was in a thing that I even saw. Somebody sent it to me that Zach Thomas even mentioned, you know, this is a guy that's deserving to be in there. So <clears throat> they feel the same way about me that I feel about them. So we're all teammates and um, I think something will happen. Uh uh, I know Armando, I think he's he's done a great job. He's helped get those two guys in. And I think sometimes when you try to promote too many people at one time, it'll just, yeah, you know, want to cancel out the other one. So um, I, I'll let them make that decision. But, you know, I, I think the thing that, that gives me peace and comfort is, you know, not only my own teammates is, uh, matter of fact, I ran into Demonte Dawson this weekend. And, you know, I know Bruce Matthews here very well. So I know a lot of players that feel like, man, you should have been in this and that. But like I say, it's, it's polit- like you say, it's a lot of it's political, this and that. And, you know, I knew some of the guys, like I know Andre Johnson, great guy. I'm really, truly happy for him. You know what I'm saying? But you got guys like Reggie Wayne. Yeah, I, I, th- I saw that too. I saw yeah. that too. Reggie's yeah. been on the list. Reggie's been waiting on the list yeah. a lot longer than Andre, and he's got championships. So it's just, and I cover both. Yeah, yeah. So, and, and I'm not saying one is not this. Both of them are deserving, but that's, that's that's what you get into. I think the Houston Texans needed a guy in. Yeah, as opposed to the Indianapolis Colts needing a third guy in from their era. Uh, not nah, you know, but it's it's all politics. Yeah, and, and, and JJ Water be the next guy to go in from the Texans, and he's deserving. So I I don't have an issue with that, and and I love what he's done uh, in the community, just not on the field, but off just a plus across the board. So that's 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 what it is. Yes, sir. Go ahead, Alan. You no, know, I'm going to chime in here because this is where me having covered you during your entire career with the Dolphins, I will say this. Richmond was never, ever a guy who was toot, who was going to toot his own horn. So the answer that, that you just gave right now is exactly what I would have expected you to, you to say. Because you, you never you never sold yourself, even as you were making Pro Bowl after Pro Bowl after Pro Bowl. A uh, couple of all-pro teams, I believe, sprinkled in there as well. So this is par for the course. I will ask you this. I will ask it to you this way. Okay. Have there been a couple of announcements of – Offensive lineman to the Hall of Fame, where inside you're going. And I know where you go. You know where I'm going with that. And he, you know, like I said, I, I think the way I approach it is, I'm genuinely happy for whoever gets in there. And I'm not saying that they don't deserve, but like, like you just said, the case with Reg, Reggie Wayne, man, man, Omar were talking about. Reggie Wayne is deserved. Should he have been in first? It, that's where the politics and sometimes plays in and this and that. But if I know you and you're a good guy and you made it in, hey, man, I'm I'm happy for you, your family, because when you're deserving of it, you're deserving of it. It's just some guys have to wait longer than others. And, and that's, that's how I keep peace within my mind because I've seen where some guys, it really, really affects them. And when they don't get in or they've been denied for a few times and I'm like, I'm not going to let that affect me like that. It's, I got too much stuff to be thankful for and this and that. Do I, am I deserving? If you ask me, yes, but am I going to let it affect me to that point? No, I'll never let it do that. So that's just the way I approach it. Okay. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early. So everyone can go home on time. There's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Uh, I, got, I got another one, Omar. Uh, Dolphins through the years have not had like major success since the Super Bowl team of the 70s. They have, however, had a pretty good run with left tackles. Mm-hmm. According to Omar, Omar is like rolling his eyes over here, but I'm going to name him. In okay. addition to, since, since you left, they've had Jake Long. They have mm-hmm. had Brandon Albert. They have had – don't give Larry me that, Omar. Uh, Laramie Tunsil, and now they have Teron Armstead. 
So my mm -hmm. question to you is, of that bunch, who have you looked at and go, yo, yeah, I like him as a left tackle? I liked I like Jake Long. Um, Albert wasn't there maybe a couple of years. It seemed like he was there that long. Um, <clears throat> Teron, Teron, he's he's been solid. Um, I think he's a little older, so he's been beat up the last couple of years. He plays and he'll fight through it and, and get back out there a bit. Um, uh, the one that I, I probably say what really affected me when I was surprised when the Dolphins traded Laramie Thompson because he was playing at such a high level and. I know most teams, how they value left tackle and this and that. I mean, it provided them with some draft picks, true enough. But, you know, you look at what he's doing with the Texans now, that's a, that's a key piece for C.J. Stroud. So, yeah, you get something on one hand, but then you, you kind of lose something. But um, I think that's something we got to look at this year because I've seen – and I, I don't know if he made a final decision, but I know Armstead was contemplating um, retirement. But uh, he is I, not walking away from fourteen million dollars. <laughs> Richmond, yes. who walks away from fourteen I, I million dollars at the end of that career? I, I wouldn't. Nah, yeah, I definitely wouldn't. But I'll tell you this: one thing I can say, and I, I, I've voiced this, and uh, I am truly happy for Austin Jackson because, I, and I felt last year was that year. He just got hurt early. But this, he balled out this past year, and every chance I get, I try to get people because, man, the fans had – they used to beat up on him, different, you know, podcasts. And, and the thing I would look at is I said, if you looked at him coming out of the at the draft, he had the athletic ability, the speed. He had all that, but he was 20 years old, and that's all I kept focusing on. I was like, he probably needed one more year and then came out, but that's extremely young, especially – be playing mm -hmm. offensive line, but he found that niche and and he I think he found it last year. Just he just battled with that ankle sprain or whatever. And uh from there, he never really got back healthy. But this past year, man, he was he yeah. put together. I, I said if we would have won a, a game or two later in the season, I think he would have been in the Pro Bowl because he had a Pro Bowl type year to me. Yeah, he and and people don't realize this, but he was playing with an oblique tear for the majority of the season that just progressively got worse. Did not um, know that. Wow. Yeah. He, he was playing with it and playing through it. Um, and, you know, eventually he had to sit it down to let it start flaring up. But the one thing I will say about Austin Jackson is I'd never seen this before where he came back in the training camp this year, mind and body totally redefined um, to the point where now you look at him physically, he looks more like a defensive end than he does an offensive lineman. No offense to your offensive lineman. Oh, yeah, that um, was a shot right there, Richmond. Yeah, a... no offense to the offensive lineman, but, you know, y'all got, got a little bit of love to you. Uh, <laughs> but you know what? I saw, And you're right. I saw him because he really he really looked lean when I saw him in, in Houston at the practice. Yeah, I kind of, yeah. And so, yeah, yeah, no, no harm taken. I, I understand, bro. I've been there. So, yeah, you're right about that. But, yeah. Yeah, yeah he, and, he, and the mentality, the mindset, the you know, I don't he wouldn't give you exactly what he had done to redefine his mind, but he knew exactly where he was. Fifth year option was denied. You know, I gotta go play into this season. Everybody's labeling me a bust. I remember I remember his first media session. He's he basically named all the media members by name and says, I've been reading every single one of y'all. I know what y'all have been writing. And I, you know, and I'm gonna I'm gonna silence silence all of the criticism. And I was just like, okay, yeah, you yeah. mean business, yeah. So yeah. And he, he wasn't playing around, yeah. And he went out there and he proved it. What 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 is the hardest mental challenge that you think you went through during your career? Uh hmm. I think probably the hardest. Let me see. Um, I, I'll tell you, I, I, I just thought about it, I think, and, and it's, it's easy now, but uh, going through my rookie year, everything went perfect, you know, played all, you know, all the snaps, this and that. And then um, we were playing in Tokyo my second year, and it was a preseason game. We were in there late, and I got hit. For, we were on a field goal or something. I don't know if the guy dived over, but anyway, I, I sprained my PCL real bad. So I missed the next pre three preseason games. I missed the first two regular season games. 
and I had this big bulky brace on my um, on my knee. So I had to try to compensate because I definitely won 100 percent when I came back. And so <clears throat> me being the player was, you know, every week the media was like uh, or people in me was, hey, how you feel? What percentage are you at? And, and I never knew how to do that. I just like, man, I'm just trying to fight through it. So I had put um, something in the in the uh, paper or something. So I can remember, like, yes, it was lunchtime. And next thing, um, this one of the equipment guys walked through and he said, hey, Coach Shula want to see you. So I was like, man, Coach Shula want to see me. This guy playing a joke, right? So I just sit there and never got up and then um, – Guy comes and he said, Hey, coach, you want to see? He do. So I said, Okay. So I went back there and uh man, Coach you was he just before I could even sit down, he's like, Hey, what's this you putting in the paper? You're not 100 percent this and that just jumped all over me. I was like, whoa, whoa. I say, so me at that point, I was young and I took it personal. I was like, Well, hey man, if you don't like what I'm doing, you know, put somebody else in there, you know. I was like, he was like, he's like, no, no, no. He said, no, no, no. He said, look, he said, everybody in this league, nobody's healthy. Everybody plays with something. He said, you just got to find a way um, to kind of deal with what you're dealing with and still go out there and play. So I was listening, but I wasn't because, you know, I was pissed off at the time. I said, man, this, he done came and jammed me up. And I left out his office and it took me a little bit to calm down. I might have been out to practice today and I started thinking about it. And I said, man. I said, he's right. I said, nobody cares whether you're ailing or, or you don't feel well. It's just, are you going to perform? It's not like the defensive end is going to say, hey, man, Rich, I'm not feeling good today. Let me not rush the passes hard because, I, you know, I know he's not 100%. And I think that did more for my mindset to 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 how I approach the game from, from that on, whether I was dealing with something or not. And that's why I was like, man, and most of the times they won't say anything, but to know Austin Jackson was dealing with something, but his main thing was, like you say, not only body, but mind. And I think that's where the key is to say, hey, I'm going to silence you guys. And he did it. And that I think that was the thing that really helped me probably more in my career than anything else, having that conversation with Coach Shula in my second year. If I, Richmond, if I ask you a question about your toughest opponent, is Bruce Smith too obvious of an answer? And it, and no, it is the tough. He's not the toughest. Really? You and Omar are my toughest. Yeah, you and Omar are my toughest. <laughs> <laughs> no, man, that dude. Man, I, I tell everybody, man, that dude. Uh, whew, man, it was it was four quarters of hell. I mean, I knew. I just it took me a minute. I think it was the second game we were playing them because. It was a rivalry, and some of the players were talking about Buffalo, and I was like, you know, I could understand Texas, Texas A&M, been there five years. I could understand the Cowboys and the Redskins because I grew up in Dallas, a Cowboy fan. But I was like, I just didn't know much about the the, um, the rivalry. And so they used to give us these media guys. I don't even think they print them anymore. So we just had these media guys, and I started – going through the media guy and I started reading up on it. It's like the Dolphins beat the, the Bills 20 times in a row. I don't think they beat the Dolphins in the, in the semis. I was like, oh. I said, that's what it is. I said, okay. I said, it's on. I said, it's on now. And we would go up there and uh, band-aid those snowballs at the bus. And just it was just – but I understood it then. But, yeah, he was the toughest guy I had to play against. But – I always look forward to it. I knew it wasn't going to be easy, but it helped bring the best out of me knowing that I had to face a guy like that sometimes two, three times a year because we always end up seeming like we was playing them in the playoffs and they got the the best of us most of the time. And that was, that was frustrating as well because if we could have got over that hump, you know, we could have possibly went to the Super Bowl. And I think the toughest one when we won the AFC Championship and we had that game in Miami, and they came down there and beat us at home. That one, it took me a while to get over that one because, like, man, you, we, you just don't get that close. And I think it's my rookie year, and Marino said, he said, hey, man, he said, I can remember my rookie year. He said, I went to the Super Bowl and this and that. He said, I said, oh, I'll be back next year. And he said, it's been seven, eight years. He said, I hadn't been back. He said, so you got to make the most 
of the opportunity when you get the opportunity. And when we got that close, I said, man, it, it was it was a perfect setup. We was at home, this and that. And then not only to lose, but then to lose to Buffalo, the team that had went the previous two years and they're going on their third trip. And I was like, you know, you congratulate them, but it's like, man, it just didn't sit well. And it took a while to get over that one. Yeah, you guys got screen past it that, that day. Uh, what's your best Bruce Smith battle story? <laughs> I'm surprised Keith didn't tell you Keith didn't tell you this one when he was nope. on the podcast. Nope. <laughs> so this was our rookie year. Uh this is our yeah, this is our rookie year. So uh we had played Buffalo early in the season. Thank goodness. At least we were in Miami and you know the heat kind of Helped slow him down a little bit. So I gave me time to get some more experience, this and that. So we were going up, and he was on a Dolphin uh, TV show with Tim McKire. He was a cornerback we had got from mm-hmm. the 49ers. And he's from Dallas, so we were Texas boys. So, you know, we just cool. So um, Tim McKire was – him and Keith was on a, a TV show together for the Dolphins, whatever. So they was asking uh, Keith – now, to ask Makai, which he was kind of more outspoken, he's going to say what's on his mind and that. So they said, uh, Keith, what do you think about Buffalo's defense, this and that? And so Tim Makai kind of hyped him up. Yeah, just go on, say it, say it. So what he said was true, but it was like they took – somebody got the video, mailed it to the Bills up in Buffalo. But Keith basically said, he said, look, I'd rather run – at Bruce Smith than away because he was you just couldn't cut him off, and he said I he, he said something about Cornelius Bennett like I think he was a better pass rusher than run, so he made a few comments. Next thing you know, we get up to Buffalo and the offense is introduced. So you know you run through dapping everybody up. So we get over to the sideline. The visiting team always go first, so they come out. Buffalo's defense is. Uh, introduced so next thing i know and me if you for some reason me and keith always stood side side by side it wasn't like we were trying to do that it just always ended up that way so um bruce comes out and so it's almost it almost sounded like they're booing but they're saying bruce the whole thing so he runs out and he looking over there on the sideline and then he starts pointing and i was like and somebody say, uh, okay, so he pointed at something. They said, uh, he pointed. I said, he's not pointing at me. He pointed at you because you was the one. <laughs> <laughs> so it was funny, man. We got in the game, and uh, it was Bruce. I know it was Cornelius, but they all, like, took turns lining up over him, you know, trying to beat him on the pass rush. And I was like. Okay, guys, this is what we're doing. But, you know, he he held his ground and, you know, we'd get back to the hull and, and we would kind of laugh. And then it was – I remember like yesterday, we were driving and we were about to score. And uh, Bruce Bruce looked at us and he said, he said, uh, guys, school is in session and it's going to take more than one of you to block me. And I was like, oh, man. I said, okay. <laughs> we, we, the, the trash talking ain't going to stop. You already – the hardest person we got to block. Tell us something we don't already know, Bruce. But we, you know, we laughed, and then you know, after the game, they kind of like, you know, they were shaking hands and stuff. But that was, man, that was a funny story. But yeah, that 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 was a thing. But Bruce never really talked a lot of. He wasn't a talker. You know, Warren Sapp was a talker. Um, um, not uh, not refrigerator Perry, his brother. Um, um, Michael Dean Perry, he would talk a little bit. Um, uh, I'm trying to think. My man from uh, John Randall from Minnesota. I thought he was on. I don't know what he was on, but he would be on the team <laughs> and, and warm-ups. And I was like, you know, he had a face paint on and all this. But uh, Bruce was never a talker, you know, but I never said anything to him. I, I didn't want – the worst th- last thing I didn't want to do is piss him off to make him already mad at what he was, but – but yeah, he was never that 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 type of guy. But you knew you had to bring it for sixty minutes or overtime if you played him because he was coming every chance he got. Very quick history lesson here for for everybody watching. And Richmond, if I say anything that's not true here, by all means correct me. Tim McIver was one hell of a cornerback. He was really good. But let's put it very politely, 
kind of had a mouth on him. And Don Shula did not care for him very much and traded him after one year, even yeah. though the guy was a hell of a player. He was, he was, it's like sometimes you don't need to give people momentum. It's already hard enough to beat these teams. But if you, you know, you piss off, you know, they had, they had Andre Reed, they had James Lofton. And like you said, they screamed to death. They had Thurman Thomas, Can Steve Tasker. It was like, you know, people talk about that. They had a really good defense, but man, Thur- I think Thurman was the key to that. If you couldn't, he could run the ball. He could, you know, do the screens. He was third down. He could play every down. And I think that's what made it hard to, to defend him. And this and that where normally you had a running back that if he was a really good runner, he could play, you know, two downs and they bring somebody else. Thurman didn't have to come out the game. And it was just, they had a really good team. People people give them a lot of flack about losing four Super Bowls, and I thought the first one against the Giants, if they don't miss that field goal, they win it. But man, they had some really good football teams back then. I tell people that I, I, I have a lot of respect for them, even though they used to, I ain't like them, but you had to respect them. So that's that's why I put it that way. Let me ask you this question, Richmond. Um, all your years of playing football, now all your years of watching football, can you win a Super Bowl without an elite quarterback? Yes, you can. I've seen it done, but not often. Uh, I think the way the league is now, if you ask me that, you you got to have a quarterback that can, can can put points up on the board. Uh, the, the last one I kind of remember was maybe Tampa Bay, and I think uh, Ray Lewis and them, not the last Super Bowl, the first one. That Black defense Oakland. was Trent huh? No, Trent okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That but for the most part, that's two instances out of how many years you, you got to have a quarterback that can put up points for the most part. Yeah. No uh, question. I'm going to be rude and say, speaking of non-elite quarterbacks, uh, the Dolphins had one several years ago. I'm not saying anything that's out of line. And I bring this up because he played at Texas A&M just Uh-oh. like Devon like Achan. So okay. you being an A&M guy, I want to get your thoughts on what you thought of their potential Coming into the NFL to the Dolphins, that, that would apply to both Ryan Tannehill in 2012 and then HN last year. Yeah, you know the thing with with I always with with, with Tannehill, I remember him playing at AM and and what a lot of people don't know is he played receiver and then uh oh we know uh, a lot of people know that <laughs> <laughs> Rod Johnson got hurt and you know they so you know for him to do that and then you know make that transition, which I know isn't easy. Uh, had a lot of respect for him. I think he, for some reason, it worked out better for him when he was in Tennessee versus he was with the Dolphins. And, you know, he's an Aggie. I'm always root for him, this and that. But I think it just worked out better. And I think the way their offense was designed with, you know, a guy like Henry run the football, play really good defense, and not put too much pressure to, to like you say, be that elite quarterback, that, that works well for him. Um uh, Devon A. Chain, I knew he was, I knew he was special. Uh, didn't know he was gonna blow it up like he was gonna do it this year. The only concern I had with him was and he did pick up weight, but he was a little small. And I knew I, I never looked at him as an airy down back, but I think if you utilize him in the right way, he could be really special in offense. And and I think they did that with him this year. So so what are your teams now? Do you still follow the Dolphins as consistently oh, yeah. as I as you've always done? I'm heartbroken. Uh, last last month, the last four games, the three or four games was rough. Um, but yeah, I, I still follow him, man. Uh, Want to see him do well. Um, I think I made it back for one game. I know I'm trying to make it back for two games, but um, yeah, Dolphin for life. Uh, actually, I'm on a podcast with Ball Game. I know you know Re- Reason, Omar, because yes, y'all yes, do a yes, show yes. sometime together. So. Um, I'm on there. We do it like once a week most of the time. But, yeah, I still root for the Dolphins, and I really want to see them well. It's just I think some of the things we got to do this year is make adjustments better in the second half. I think, you know, our offense is so explosive. But by the time you get to about the ninth game, everybody's kind of seen what you're going to do. So now it's about it's really about playing chest in. So it's like, okay, if we take that away, okay, I see you taking this away, but I gotta 
do this. And I think if we do that a little bit better and stay healthy, because we did have a lot of injuries, but if we can do don't that. Don't tell Alan that. Don't tell Alan that. He don't want to hear that. He don't hear that. <laughs> except, except, correct me if I'm wrong, but Richmond earlier said that yeah. if you're if you're in the lineup, nobody cares about your injuries. You have to perform. Did you not say that, Richmond? Yeah. And, and, and now I will say this. For as many, and we, you know, to lose Phillips, Chubb, Van Ginkle, I think that was pretty tough. But the way we played musical chairs in the offensive line, mm-hmm. uh, I to take my hat off to the coach that coached that unit because some of the backups really came in. And I was concerned at times, but they, it might have been a little drop off, but it wasn't to where he was like, oh man, we're in trouble. Yeah. It was a it was a significant drop off, but it wasn't it wasn't drastic in terms of it it just tanking the season. But um, right, right. I, I wanted to ask you this: uh, in this era of athleticism, it's you know your era, guys like you had great size, and you 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 were able to succeed with that size. Do you see Richmond? this era? Omar, 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 put some respect on Richmond. Richmond could move as well. He yeah, was, yeah. I'm not, I'm not saying that he can't move, but right. how many, how many defensive ends did he face that was six foot four, two hundred and eighty pound, absolute Smith. Adonis Smith? Yeah, but that's Bruce Smith. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, well, it, it's, it's, it's I, I think it's different. I think it's more. Like we would have fitted in this era because we threw the ball so much back then. That wasn't typical when I first came in. You had um, teams like the 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 Redskins, the Hogs that just you know ran the the counter trade of pulling you know this and that. It was just more the Giants. They played real good defense and you know had like Otis Anderson, you know guys like that that just they're gonna just lean on you and just lay on you just say who who's gonna quit first and. We wanted a few that threw the ball as much as we did, you know, back then. So uh, it's, it's definitely a different league. Um, I think they've implemented stuff to protect the players um, more, which I kind of understand that. that that was kind of an adjustment because, you know, that was used as a form of intimidation back in my day. If a receiver came across the middle, whether he caught the ball or not, he was going to pay a price. That receivers didn't talk as much trash back then either. So you, you stop one monster, but you create another one. So, but it's um that's the biggest thing I say is that um I think the way we played, and when I say we the dolphins, we threw it a lot more, and I understand why, because we had Dan Marino and they were gonna utilize that that weapon, but um yeah, it, it's different now. I think pass if you can pass protect. I think that's the key. You don't have to be a really great run blocker. And I'm saying these guys not, but just with the spread and the motions and the the, the, yeah. the all that, it's a little bit easier to, you know, kind of do that. So more might be more position where back then it was more downhill. You had to really move that defensive end and stuff like that now. So it's a little different. Yeah. I, I wanted to ask you this question because you, you talk about the, the, the podcast that you do with Reasons and, and you guys break down a little bit of film. My theory is everybody says, okay, the Dolphins cannot play playoff caliber teams. I've always I've said the Dolphins are not good on the road because their motions don't necessarily translate because of the silent count and the silent cadence. It doesn't help when you have all those cheat motions. Do you think that there's validity to the fact that the offense does not travel well? It, it, it is validity to that. And I, I'll say this. I, I think that's why I'm saying you got to be able to make adjustments. And I, I think regardless of if you kind of even look at this past year or whatever, once playoff football starts, you got to be able to run that football. And I'm not saying you got to run it for 200 yards, but you got to be able to run it to keep teams honest. If they know they can make you one-dimensional – it, it, it's, it's going to be harder to win that game. It's definitely going to be harder to win it if you're not at home and on the road and playing, uh, you know, really good football teams. And really the the playoff to me kind of for the Dolphins, it should have started maybe around that Tennessee game. You want you want to be hitting that, that rhythm even before you get in there because I, I think the thing that why the fan base was so frustrated was if we win a game or two, at worst, we're sitting at the number two spot in the playoffs versus 
you know, we lost to Tennessee. We lost to Buffalo. We lost like two or three of We lost to Baltimore. At one point, we had a chance to have it throughout if we take care of our business. And I think that's the thing that people kind of look back and reflect. And like you say, if, if you know that's how you built, then you know you need to try to keep yourself out that position, especially if you have an opportunity to do that. Yeah. Unfortunately, they were not able to do it. But nope. now, it's, now it's the chance of rebuilding it back. Uh, we'll see how productive and fruitful that is, but it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting. A lot. This is a lot of business, and, and, and it doesn't get any easier. And and it's kind of like what I said earlier. When you get opportunities like that, you're not guaranteed because it could be different injuries this year. It's just it's nothing to just say. Okay, yeah, we had this. We'll be all right this year. You just don't know. It's an unknown that everybody deals with. So. Yeah. So, Richmond, what are your two or three things the Dolphins you think the Dolphins absolutely should do this offseason? Uh, uh, I, I, it's definitely for me, uh, uh, offensive lineman is priority because I think Connor Williams is, you know, up and like, um, well, Omar said he's leaving at 14 million. That's why I bust that laughing. Yeah, but he was contemplating that. So, I, I think, uh, Definitely a, a young offensive lineman in in your top two rounds, I would say. Um, we, I, I don't think X is going to be there. Wilkins to a huh? Thoughts on Wilkins to a man? We got a lot of people. We got to get signed. I, I think Tua will get signed. I don't think Wilkins. I'm not for sure. I love him. I just. You got Wilkins, Conway. You got a lot of people. X. I don't know. It's. I think the team is going to look a little different. I hate to say that. I think it's going to look a little different. Uh, we well, it's keep without a doubt going to look a lot different. People. Yeah. People think that they could just run it back. No, you can't just run it back. That's you not a run it back. The only thing I would do is if, if I'm really sold on a guy, try to get some of these deals done maybe the year before they come up because it helps with the salary cap. But when you let everybody come up. It's tough, man. So it's just, I'm just hoping they do the right thing. I'm just glad I'm not the guy that's got, got to fix all that. But that was one of the things I was always pushing for. Try to get some of these guys signed early on if you know you truly going to stick with them. And then that way you don't have to worry about letting everybody come up. Because once they come up, then, you know, it's, it's just open market and you could end up paying a lot more for a guy you really wanted to keep when you could have probably got him for, you know, a little bit less. He happy, you happy. And that's one less thing you got to deal with. Mm-hmm. Always a pleasure, Keith. Yeah. Uh, Richmond. Uh, Richmond, sorry. It's, no, it's all good, brother. That's, hey, that, that's, that's how it was. We, we was, it doesn't matter. <laughs> so that, that's a compliment. You good, brother. <laughs> No, but you're, it's interesting though because you think of dolphin combos like do, tandems and through the years. You got Scott and Dick Anderson. I'm going to go way back here. Scott and Dick Anderson, Duper Clayton, yeah, Rich, Richmond and Keith, uh, Pat and Sam, yeah, and I may I'm sure I forget maybe Tyreek and Waddle. Yeah, uh, that yeah. might be the new one. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Well, we appreciate your time, Richmond. Uh, we thank you. A- anything you want to promote? I know you have the podcast with reasons. What day do you all tape? We'll be on tomorrow night. We go about uh, about seven thirty, seven forty-five Eastern. So, uh, yeah, reason ball game. I-, I-, I let them run it, and they make me look good. So I like being on there with those two guys that they take care. Of. <laughs> all right. We well, tried to make you look good, also, Richmond. Yeah, yeah, I did. <laughs> We, we thank you, and, and uh, as I said, uh, when I when I actually started looking up like Hall of Fame, like okay, once Zach got in, I was like, all right, who's next? I was like, wow, Richmond, you really you really had a great resume, and I I'm surprised that you got overlooked for all those years. But then once Jason and Zach got in there, I understood the dynamics of you know you put all your energy behind one you guy, and then you move on to the next guy. That's it. Yeah, but. My mind, you you're the guy now. So okay, well, you know, maybe before, maybe before then, Richmond. But when you get elected to the Hall of Fame, absolutely, you're back. You're back on the All Dolphins spot. Y'all got my contact number. I'd be happy to, brother. You know how we do it. Yeah. All right. We appreciate you, Richmond, and thank okay. you for coming. And uh, we will see tomorrow podcast. Another, uh, what do we call it? Um, when podcast unites. No, this it's time. Thursday. It's Thursday, Omar. Okay. 
He's not checking my, my he's not checking my text messages. And it's like, all right. Well, we've got to pause when podcast unites coming up, and we we'll be back later on alldolphins.com. You know how to find our work for free, alldolphins.com for free, no paywall, no subscriptions, no monthly charges on your credit card. Free work, free, free dolphins coverage. On that note, we're out. Visit alldolphins.com for the latest news, analysis, and columns, and it's all free. You can find Omar Kelly and Alan Poupard on the All Dolphins podcast discussing South Florida's NFL team on YouTube and anywhere you find your audio podcasts. Make sure you subscribe, like, and share so you stay in the know. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure.